week's guest is Jacob Mentel, who joins us from sunny San Diego, California. Jacob is currently a bartender at The Realm of 52 Remedies in San Diego. Jacob is an avid mental health advocate, and he has been diagnosed with anxiety, depression, ADHD, and autism. We talk with Jacob how this impacts his life and work, and how he uses this as a positive to achieve his goals in life. Jacob is extremely open about his struggles, and it's terrific to see how he's overcome these hurdles and become successful. One of Jacob's favorite quotes is the following, We never lose. We either win or we learn. We had a great conversation with Jacob. Make sure you check him out on Instagram at The Cocktail Retriever. Enjoy the show. Back again with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. What is going on? Not too much. Just hanging out, being awesome as always. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Yourself, everything's going with you. Awesome. Just great. That's great. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, How's the usual question I ask every week? How's business at the bars? Uh, It's just up. It's a nonstop roller coaster ride. Uh, One day I'm going to wake up and all bars will have been good. Nice. On the same weekend. Well, I'm good. waiting for that miracle. Hey, yeah, with actually with all the students back in town, even though your bars aren't mer- aren't so student oriented, does that have any impact on business? Well, as we're recording this, we had homecoming weekend last weekend. Oh, at so the that, party school. Yeah. yeah, so that was really good for the bar uptown, uh, uptown Waterloo, Babylon Sisters. Not so good for downtown Kitchener, the Sugar Run, where the speakeasy is, and really terrible for the Argyle Arms in Preston, where there are no schools. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah, and there was also a massive festival, uh, music festival in Cambridge, so that drew a lot of our customers away. Yeah. I could have just shut the doors or, or left them open. Nobody would have robbed the place because there was no one in the area. Oh. So, <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, like I said, the miracle. One day you're going to ask me this question on a Monday, and I'm going to be like, every single bar was busy. Perfect. Well, let's hope for the best. You'll know because I'll be shooting tequila. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. So we have another great guest as always. We're going to get to Jacob Mantel in just a minute here. Before we do, if you like the show and you like what we're doing here, subscribe, rate, review. You hear me say it every fucking week. So maybe do it. Help us out. Help us out. Mm -hmm. The artwork. Oh, if you want to be a guest on the show, we should say that too. You should email us at info at the industry podcast.club or you can DM us directly at the industry podcast on Instagram, where you'll find the beautiful artwork from Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna.co. He does all the artwork for the show. Big shout out to Zach as always. Check him out for all your graphic arts needs. Anything else you want to talk about? Should we just get right to Jacob? Let's just get right to the Jacob. All right, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me uh, hop on the show. It's really, really great opportunity and a uh, real privilege. Oh, thanks for doing it. We appreciate it. Especially, we always appreciate people with the time difference too, because Jacob's coming from San Diego, so three hours behind us, and uh, we fucked up the whole scheduling of this. So yeah. thanks again for being a good sport about all yes, that. Yes, thanks very much. <laughs> I learned how to use a computer. No, I mean, honestly... Yeah. I mean, honestly, when you do, you just teach me too, because I'm at that point where it would have been the other way around if you guys would have been on time. So it's perfect. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about, before we started recording, you were mentioning that you were originally from Vegas. Like you, did you actually grow up in Vegas? Yeah. You know, actually, um, I was there for a lot of my high school. And so my dad, he was uh, big into casinos where we would move around quite a bit. So what I call my like hometown is just a place I lived in the longest. So right. it was, uh, I swim between like Oregon, which I live in like Salem, some small town, the capital over in Oregon itself and in Vegas for about three years, uh, three or four years. 
And it was, uh, I'll tell you what, you grew up real quick in that that city for sure. <laughs> yeah. When you say big into casinos, what does that mean? Oh, so he actually was doing a lot of the marketing oh, for like uh, a Bellagio. At uh, one point, he's part of that department. Oh. Same where he kind of went. So he's actually been a really good kind of outlet for me for a lot of stuff that I do on, on the side as well. Because, I mean, when you're doing stuff that drastic and that massive, I mean... Mm. One person can market themselves, especially a guy with a, a goofy smile, you know? <laughs> so you were kind of like an army brat, but for debauchery. Literally, literally <laughs> that, you know, I grew I grew up in the like the casino arcades and the, the little playgrounds where everybody loses their kids while they're, uh, they're gambling. So, oh, crazy. Like we obviously the show is about the industry. So we want to get in and talk about your industry career, but we can't let this go. Like talk about that upbringing. Like what was it like? Oh, you know, it was, it was actually a mix of two different things, obviously, uh, with my, my dad was always very busy, but same time, I always had a lot of these really awesome opportunities. I mean, he would meet so many different people. Like I think he, he met like Joe Montana a couple of times. Oh, we got autographs cool. from him. Uh, Joey Chestnut. I got to watch him way, way back in the day. And oh, Oregon, wow. he's did a hot dog eating contest. Um, Crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I got to go to like the boom, boom, hop jam with Tony Hawk. It was like stuff like oh, that where, wicked. you know, it traded off. Yeah, it was crazy, you know? And, you know, coming from a, a kid that, um, you know, with a lot of the stuff that I have, wasn't like a kid with a lot of huge friend groups and stuff. So that right. kind of stuff was so fun, you know, and uh, it was really, really just a great opportunity to, you know, experience these things, these amazing things people got to do, you know, and not on my end, but then like Joey Chestnut, I mean, what freaking guy can eat 75 freaking hot dogs in, in right. such a short period of time or... Tony Hawk, you know, developing the 920, you know, like that kind of stuff's just a really yeah. cool inspiration as a kid. Was Joey Chestnut just the weirdest fuck dude or was he all right? Honestly, he was literally the most normal guy you've ever met in your life. Just so really? polite and so quiet, but he was quiet. It was the thing. Yeah. He was just a really quiet dude. You know, it's, um, you think you boast a little bit. And that guy was like the skinniest person you've ever met. I in know, your life. I see and then it, it's kind of insane to see it. It's also hard to talk when you got 15 hot dogs shoved down your throat at all times. So that, that's <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, okay, so I so the crazy upbringing, which is super cool. Uh, what at what point did you decide that you wanted to get into the service industry? You know, it's so funny. I um I actually wanted to get in this industry when I was really young. So my mom worked in restaurants all my life. And so when I say my dad, my dad was my stepdad. Um, didn't oh, come okay. to my life until I was 10. Didn't meet, didn't meet my real dad until I was like 21. And so with it, you know, I, I also grew up in restaurants. So she worked at like a place like the Crocodile Cafe in like LA where I'd get to the bar every day. And um, it's one of those, you know, you hear those things in like Westworld, the cornerstone memories, you know, and develop mm-hmm. like everything you do for the rest of your life. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it was kind of one of that where I always go back to that moment where you know, I'm sitting at the bar, you're enjoying like kind of like watching this guy develop drinks and just interact with guests. And, you know, out of everybody that was ever in a restaurant, you know, the nicest person to me was the bartender. Right. You know, he'd give me the the really bad for you, like cherries, and I'd eat those all day or do like magic tricks or like making mocktails all night. And for me, that was just something that resonated and something I want to do because I, I always just want to make people happy. And so mm-hmm. hospitality was just a natural avenue for it. And then from there, it was an off and on thing. You know, I, I was going to school for firefighting and I did some acting when I was younger too. And, you know, I just kind of always led back to the bartending and it really didn't really become a thing until I went to Trick Dog's very first menu in San Francisco. I was bar backing at a dive bar while I was acting and I was very, very committed to the acting thing. And I walk into the very first trick dog menu and I check it out. And from then on, I was obsessed and mm. I never looked back, quit acting the next week and 
just focused on my bartending career. And it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So. Oh, crazy. So what was the first, what was your first, what would you consider your first like real bartending gig? You know, my first like real, real one, I wouldn't say it was the best one. It was actually this restaurant that is close now. It's called Graffiti in Petaluma, uh, Sonoma County. And, uh, you know, it was a place where it was like free pouring and, you know, like nothing's ever washed and, you know, you're using like sweet and sour, which nothing wrong with that, especially if it's a business where you want to go for. It's awesome. But it was definitely just stuff you just threw into a tin and you served it. And it wasn't really like cocktail <laughs> programs, but, you know, it teaches you. Yeah, but it teaches you to sell things, you know, and that's yeah, yeah. that's kind of the beauty is something I preach to a lot of my teams and stuff is it doesn't matter where you work or where you came from. Every single one of those you can take something from to add to your toolbox and make you into a better professional, whether it be in the hospitality industry or elsewhere. 100%. And like from my own career, but also from doing this show for a couple of years now, the one thing that yeah, I can definitively say is all the steps matter. You learn something from every spot. And the more of those places you work at, the better. Like if, like we've talked to people who like lucked out in their very first job they got at a, like a high-end craft cocktail bar. And I, I just think you're missing some steps that way. Absolutely. I mean, you you look at some of the most famous people. I mean, how many well-known bartenders come from a barista background? You know, how many people come from corporate? You yeah. know, it's, uh, I mean, Eric Castro worked at BJ's before he was Eric Castro, you know, and a lot of people that were really well-known that came from Polite. I mean, they were baristas. They, were, they came from crazy stuff. And at the end of the day, it's, you can't teach passion. You can teach someone to make a drink, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the first bar that you worked at where you started to develop like the craft cocktailing skills? You know, um, I'd say where, where it really, really took off for me was uh, a bar called Noble Experiment in San Diego. It was really amazing. It was, we actually got to be trained by Sam Ross, who's been a really, really good mentor to me. He was a big factor for me getting into the cap program for Tales of the Cocktail and still somebody I can reach out on a dime and ask advice to. And where that kind of happened was walking into the situation and kind of seeing a person that you, you know, idolize you never met before and having him teach you what he does at, you know, Attaboy, you know, of all mm -hmm. places. I mean, it just stirs up a certain kind of passion to it that, you know, like, okay, this is the real deal. Like, this is what it really, really means to be in the scene and not necessarily whether or not you make the best cocktails in the world, but just, just the feeling you get being a part of something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, and that kind of experiences and mentorship is invaluable, especially when you're trying to break into this. Well, at what point did, were you like, I know you said you, you just gave up acting the next week and you were like, didn't look back, but there must have been a, a time when you started bartending where you're just like, okay, this is what I do now. I would say, actually, that's a great question. I, I would say what, where that kind of happened was this place called Drawing Board in Petaluma again. It was right before I moved to San Diego about a year. And it was just this craft cocktail bar in this small town that was just non-existent. You know, nobody knew, really knew what the craft cocktail was. And so I was able to kind of join in there. And he's, it was literally a woman run bar mm -hmm. where I was, I think I was the only male bartender. So it was, it was kind of an incredible experience because you like, you really learn a lot about different ways of like handling a bar, especially with people that are so badass. Um, you know, you, you had this, um, our bar manager at that point had one point or another worked at death and co once again, happened to be in a small town luck, you know, and, uh, Daniel Peters was another one that was really big inspiration. Just kind of taught me what it meant to be a real like bartender. And from then I was just, I was just like absolutely blown away by how many people came in to see them. You know, they were obsessed with it. They believe they were the happiest people in the world where I always worked at these places trying to just make money. You know, we always go for the money places where you made, you know, half-assed cocktails and you're just trying to throw them out you don't have time to talk to people but once you i saw how happy you can make somebody 
just in a 30 minute interaction, that's like, that's when I need to be a part of this. I'm like, I, I have to be a part of this industry and I have to do it, you know, to a certain kind of level that I want to. So what prompted the move to San Diego? Funny enough, it was actually uh, originally to go to uh, school for firefighting. So I, I was going to school for firefighting in EMC up in uh, Sonoma County. And I was kind of at a point, it was fires just had happened. Seems like you dodged a bullet there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, it really, honestly, it's, yeah. it's bonkers. Those, yeah. They, uh, you're nothing but mad respect for everybody does. It. No shit. Like, like what they had to go through. And like, it's funny because I'm trying not to cuss, but it's, uh, no, <laughs> I'm that's not all right. being able to do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. No, but it, so basically like the fires had just happened in, uh, you know, the Bay area and stuff. And, and on top of it, my, uh, my best friend had just been killed by a drunk driver. And so oh, fuck, we, sorry. yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, it was a while ago and, you know, we've grown past it and my wife and I, but it's, it was the things that inspired me to jump into firefighting to help out the people that couldn't help themselves. And unfortunately I, uh, I didn't have the stomach. I didn't have the stomach for, uh, the bodily fluid part of it. And so I didn't really go very far in it. Um, grade wise, great bodily fluid. Absolutely not. I'm also the guy that you can't send into a bathroom to clean up throw up unless you stuff like mints. You ever done that trick? You stuff the mint in your nose. Oh no. Throw up. Oh really? It's the best way to do it. You won't smell it. It won't even bother you at all. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, so we moved down to San Diego. And within uh, you know a couple months, I just kind of decided, you know, there's other ways that I can help people. And, you know, that's why I got into this industry. You know, we, we have a great platform to do really, really amazing things. And, you know, and that's kind of what a lot of things I've been doing is trying to showcase just how much we can help out people and how much help is out there for others, you know. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about the bar you're working at now. Yeah, yeah. So actually, this uh, this bar is called the Realm of Fifty Two Remedies. It's a really amazing bar opened about five years ago. Uh, what's so amazing about this is actually they are a bar that doesn't really look for the publicity. They don't look for advertisements. They just care about the hospitality. They care about the uh, the guest interaction. The drinks being perfect. And uh, it's funny because every bartender in town knows it's the best bar in town. You know, it's it's just definitely a thing where they want to keep it the local spot. And our bar manager, Chris Lee, comes from a really great background from uh, bar old-fashioned in South Korea. Yeah, okay. um, so he just comes with a great experience, great learning thing. And honestly, I've been really, really humbled being a part of this program and, and just learning as much as I possibly can from him. Like I, I always say, my favorite thing in the world is to be the dumbest person in the room. And every day I come in here, I'm like, an, I am literally the dumbest person in the room. It's, it's the best feeling in the world. So, yeah, that happens to Dan everywhere he goes. So. True, I I succeeded that goal <laughs> yeah. by, by choice, mainly not by choice, but it happens a lot of the time. <laughs> Talk to us about the the bar scene in San Diego in general. I'll, the only thing I know about San Diego is it's supposed to be like one of the most fucking amazing places to live in the world, just for climate and it's a cool city. You have sports, you have music, you have everything right there. Uh, but what's the bar scene like? You know, actually, it's a very underrated bar scene. You know, it's we we have let's see, we've had at least four different bars ranked in the top fifty. Um, a couple of them that have won awards at Spirits too, which has been really cool. Like you know, you have Play Provisions, obviously Race by Wolves, which was ranked last year, and uh, Young Blood, which just got ranked this last year. But on top of it, I mean, those are just the big names, and that's from one company, Consortium Holdings, obviously, which owns a lot of the big popular craft cocktail bars in town. But we do have a really underrated scene outside of it where we have some very talented bartenders that come from all over the country um, and just kind of create a really great scene. We're just so laid back here that 
you know, we're once again, a lot of people don't really push for that national spotlight. It's all about like the local community and kind of making sure that hospitality is there and really amazing cocktails. And it's, um, but I will say for a fact, we have definitely one of the most underrated scenes in the country by far. And I think uh, when Bartenders Weekend comes around, we are able to showcase that a little bit more, which is kind of a really cool thing for me to see. Yeah, what's Bartenders Weekend all about? We don't really, I don't know if we've even ever interviewed anyone from San Diego before, have we? Well, I don't think so. So yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah. No, I'm happy I'm the first one. Um, So basically, Bartenders Weekend was brought together by uh, Chris Pizzino. Who is a uh, you know big factor into speed rack um, as well as just being just a legend in general? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eric Castro, who came together and basically created this this event to bring people to San Diego and showcase our industry. Uh, originally started when Polite Provision was kind of at its peak, and they were doing all this like crazy stuff, and so they came together, did that, and we basically have four days worth of events where bars from all over the country come out, and they host in different bars, different hotels, and it's. It's like a mini Tales of the Cocktail. Mm-hmm. A lot less education, a lot more partying, <laughs> but definitely a little bit more of this like come together kind of feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they're also just started uh, last year going to Palm Springs as well. So there's yeah. uh, there's twice a year now. One of them is going to be in February here in San Diego, and the other one's in Palm Springs, which just happened last week. Oh, um, it's a really, really cool thing, honestly. It's... Uh, it gets really, really wild. I know when I, I threw my Angels Envy um, event, I mean, we were doing laybacks off the, the roof of the outdoor patio and, you know, everybody's just having a good time. People I haven't seen in years. And I mean, that's the beauty of all these events. You see these people you never see. It's really, really awesome. Right. So and a lot of these people you probably met down at Tails, right? Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's weird. As you know, like, it's such a small industry. You know, at one point mm-hmm. or another, we run into each other. Or we talk to each other. Um, especially the more involved you get, you know, it's the same people every year at run amok, you know, it's tales of the cocks that you see the same people coming out and, and you just, you kind of draw yourself to the really passionate people that really love this industry and truly like try to do some really dope ass stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, have you gotten involved in competitions as well or more just, uh, on the sort of education side? You know, it's, um, I've done a lot of the, um, I've done some competitions as well. I, I made it to the international for the Deleuze Conan competition a couple of years ago, which is really, really awesome. It was, um, just a really great experience for that. This is my first year doing world class. Fingers crossed I get in it. I just have always, I'm always just kind of a big workhorse on the day to day. And so I just never really had the time to do it. And right now I'm on a bit of a, a let's call it a kind of a break. It's where I had this opportunity to kind of do it. And so for years, they've been trying to get me to do world class. My first year doing it, I'm really stoked to be a part of it. And I think I'm going to get a little bit more involved in competitions moving forward for sure. Cause it's just, I'm a competitive person just by nature. And so mm. I feel like they'd be a really good little hobby slash uh, outlet for a lot of things. So it'd be great. Though, So for the world class thing, it's obviously a lot of work. Uh, what's your plan of attack for doing that and also still trying to maintain your employment there? <laughs> I know, geez, Louise. You know, with that, you know, as far as what I'm trying to bring to the table for it, I, I'm a bit of a centric person. I know I am. I, you know, with with the autism and, and stuff like that, I, I have, I have a singular thing that I, I focus on. And I like, and it's it's cocktails and bars. You know, anything else is just something I never really am interested in. And you know, photography's been the only hobby I ever had. So just kind of going out there being yourself. That's the beauty of world class. Is they really, really want you to be yourself as much as possible. I mean. Jesse Pollock won, you know, last year and she was actually my gray coat for Caps this last year. So my mentor was really dope. And 
he is just like the most original personality person ever and just the sweetest person in the world. And she won. And a lot of it came from her letting her original personality out because they don't want cookie cutter stuff. That's not why we're bartenders. You know, it's, mm. we want to be cookie cutter. We, we do a lot of other jobs. So it's just coming out, being myself, being my really nerdy stuff and explaining cocktails to make absolutely no sense with somehow work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I missed the second part of the question. I'm sorry, I got so into that when I, I'm totally. Uh, no, that's okay. I, I kind of wanted to um, shift focus now, anyway, because you brought it up. So autism, and you have ADHD, and talk to us a little bit about like how that has affected you positively and negatively in the service industry. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really great question. It, it's been an interesting process because I was I was late diagnosed with autism and. You know, it's ADHD. I've been living with knowing that I had it since I was 16. And the great thing about it, one with ADHD, is it does like to multitask like nobody's business. Like it's it's kind of insane. But the trade off is you're clumsy. You're the clumsiest right. person in the world. You know, I I couldn't tell you how many times I've like broken the glass because I, I make a movement that I shouldn't make, but it makes sense in my head. And then as I'm kind of finding out with like the autism, it's the hyper focus. You know, it's it's perfectionism. It doesn't matter how many times I mess up, whether it be like throwing. I actually had never thrown before until I started working here. And uh, and now I was so upset that every single day I throw like a hundred different times. And not like literally different ones, but like actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And now I can do it like all the way down to like almost the floor. You know, it's it's that comes with that. But on the flip side of it too is, you know, you're always constantly struggling with you know, the focus retention and, you know, the, the hard part of like making eye contact sometimes can make, give me anxiety. Um, you know, it's luckily I, because I was so late diagnosed, I'm a very, very high functioning. So I, mm-hmm. I am, I can socialize very well, but it's just the many things that I can't control like that, or my rocking back and forth, my ticks. like my wedding ring is, a uh, it's like a moving ring. And so it's just, so when I'm talking, I can mess with it. I'm on it. I'm focused on them because I have something else I can fidget with. But I will say the biggest thing by far that it's helped me with is um, it gave me a really sensitive palate. So I've, I'm able to, I, I can taste something and know what it tastes like for ever. Uh, and as long as I can taste something else and then I can recreate that as long as I've tasted the flavors that have been in there in some sort of spirit. Really? Like we have a miso cookie here and I tried it for the first time and I recreated it immediately. It's not like, it's not a perfect science, obviously, but I can get it pretty damn close. And it's, it's a blessing with that for sure. And, you know, once again, the trade-off on that is, you know, my head goes a million different directions at once. And so it's, it's constantly trying to like keep that one train of thought focus on one, you know, as you get, nobody can see me because you're listening, but you guys yeah. can see me. I'm, I'm fidgeting all the time and, and moving and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting process for sure. Well, I'm interested because like, so, and again, I'm going to sound very ignorant because I don't know anything about this. So just bear with me. So the autism is, does lead to hyper-focus, right? Yeah, but the yes, ADHD yes. is almost the opposite of that. So actually, it's a it's a misconception with ADHD. So it's okay. we actually it's not an attention deficit. So there's actually a big push to change that term. ADHD actually is like a hyper focus. The thing is, is that you hyper focus on something, but then you like a, within a certain amount of time, you lose interest in that thing. It's why we, they call us like jack of all trades. And so oh, we see. get really, really good. We get good at something really quick. But then once we get good, that's it. We don't want to do anything more. And so we don't go above that. We don't, we don't try to be like the best of the best of that thing. And so if I, that's a cool thing with autism. It balances that out a little bit where once again, my hyper, my permanent hyper focus is the bar industry and cocktails. And so 
I always am going to be on that. And that's all I ever want to do. But everything else is just like a jack of all trades. I, I get good at it and then I get really bored with it. So would you say it's almost um, like a benefit for doing this job? I would say so. And that, that's yeah. also the reason why I was always so drawn to it. You know, mm. I think actually our industry is the highest percentage of people that is neurodivergent because mm. people are drawn to it because of those things. And it's a mixture of those traits being actually good for this industry, which doesn't normally happen anywhere else. But also that because of the people drawn to it, we're actually more accepted. So reality of it is our industry is the industry of like outcasts and misfits in the best kind of way. You know, we're kind of like the people that think outside the box or, you know, do it the weird way. And that's why we're all drawn to it. And I've never felt more accepted in anything until I was part of this industry. Well, I'm glad that you went there because you actually answered a question that I was going to ask you, which is I love when that happens. Uh, but, uh, but basically, I was going to lead you in that direction. And you are you just went and answered it. But so let's step back for a second, because I wasn't aware about the fact that the autism would help with your palate, which is super cool. And the other question I would have about it is like, because you can, can become hyper-focused on, say, crafting a perfect cocktail or, like you were saying, throwing or whatever, does that ever affect you negatively when it's like a crazy busy night keeping up with that stuff? Or is or does that can you singularly focus on just like keeping up as well? You know, and, and that's once again, that's a beautiful question. So with, with it is there are some times where I'm so focused on something that I just learned. Right. Like, like my first week here, actually, I learned how to make... A really, really creamy, not quite whipped cream, but kind of whipped cream uh, concoction they do here. And so on a, a mild night, I was just sitting there developing 30 different like recipes, doing it their way of doing it. And sometimes it's really hard to get out of that mindset because mm. your your creativity is 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 just going and you just want to get that done. You're so focused on like perfecting this this process to be able to do it without thinking of the second thought. But a lot of times where we thrive is where we enjoy and thrive is that the restaurant industry is so busy and so bustling. There's so many things happening at once all around you that I don't even have time to think. And right. and that's the beauty because a lot of people don't understand with, with these things is that, you know, it's, it's not a matter of being an attention deficit. It's a matter of, I have a thousand thoughts going through my head at any given time. Always, you know, the one negative thing I do I think about that a thousand times over. I say one bad thing to a guest. I think about it a million times over and over and over and over and over. Yeah, I break uh, a glass that's going through my head a thousand times. And that, that one thing, I still think about some stuff I did five years ago. And it goes through my head on a daily basis over and over and over and over again. And um, and that's where that perfectionism kind of comes in as well, where it's just an obsession because I can't always control my head enough to not think about those negative things that I messed up on or you know, damn it, I, I, I fucked up that cocktail, you know, damn it, I, I don't know why I can't make this cocktail work, I, I got to make this work. And I can't, I can't do anything else until I do that. Or, you know, I need to find sponsorship for this takeover, I have to do it right now. And so it, it is it is like a constant battle on a daily basis. You know, it's um, like, as my like thing is the cocktail retriever, you know, I, I always talk about how, you know, I wake up, I wake up, and I have to work hard to be that person, you know, because mm -hmm. I want to be that person. I don't just wake up and I'm this happy-go-lucky person all the time. I have to work hard for it. And the same thing with our industry. You know, I have to work hard to be good at what I do behind a bar. And everybody does. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not taking away from anyone else. It's just I have to fight through a lot of things that I unfortunately can't always control. And um, it's, it's a very, very amazing thing that's built me to be the person I am today. And I wouldn't take anything back or anything in my life back at all. Because it's made me the bar professional that I am. 
it's, it's a great thing. So, well, and especially I, I, I admire you because like you getting diagnosed late, that could be like kind of a devastating person for someone who's already an adult, but it seems like you've found a way to embrace it and like make it like, this is a, a positive part of you. Do you have little mental tricks that you use to like, for instance, when you're saying like you broke a glass and you can't stop thinking about it, or there, do you have like mental tricks to get yourself out of that headspace? Oh yeah. You know, it's, oh, I love these questions. This is really great. <laughs> No, um, I would say like the biggest, the biggest thing as a whole, like let's just blanket that and I'll go into a little more specific, but learn, learn about it, educate mm-hmm. yourself about it. Because at the end of the day, if you're, you're feeling something and you just think you're crazy. Right. I mean, that's, that's never going to be good for you or what you're trying to do. So learn about these symptoms and learn what comes with these things that you're learning about yourself. Like I learned that the reason why I say this, like I make sound effects behind the bar, like, whoop, you know, like stuff like that. That's part of that. Right. And never really bothered me. I just thought it was me. And, um, but it's cool to know that. I love that. I know that. I love now that I know what I get hyper-focused on. I know that I can think about it. I'm like, no, that's just that. It's just that. It's okay. Like Mm -hmm. move past that. And as far as like breaking a glass or doing something on a daily basis, I mean, find the things that can get you out of that headspace. I take laps. Um, Uh, I no one really knows that people just see me leave the bar a lot. A lot of the time I'll just take a lap real quick. And like, it's just a lap. I'll look around. I'm stimulated by all the stuff around me. I forget about it. Done. I go outside for a quick breath, fresh air. I go grab like a soda, take a sip of the soda. I tell myself what that tastes like, what like flavors I can pick out of it. I'll make a double chico with some mandarin and like simple syrup in there, taste it and see how I could have balanced it. Doing something that's productive in your head. That's not so negative is what gets me to go to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the obsession of like perfecting stuff or reading books all the time is, is just, yeah, teach yourself something and like, find these things you're very passionate about that you know you can do like if you're a photographer which i'm getting into and so i'm dealing with a whole different level of trying to figure out how to not be too much perfectionist with that yeah it's just like instead of just sitting there thinking about it i'm just shooting another photo right. you, know, you broke a glass cool just grab another glass you know and make another cocktail if you don't like that cocktail uh, i honestly this be this has been a huge thing for me i'm not religious or anything but i do i do read a lot about buddhism and it's it's more about just the helping out your fellow man and and just knowing that what you have is good enough and, and knowing that. And so I have this ring on that fidgets for my wedding ring. So it's a fidget wand, but it also just reminds me to think about those teachings and, and different quotes in my head. Like for one instance, I found one recently that has really, really helped me. It's from John. Uh, it's from Nelson Mandela that I heard from John uh, Kikaru, who's uh, the chairman of Tales. Um, I just joined his marketing company not too long ago. He's been a great mentor to me. It's that we never lose. We either win or we learn. Mm. And I never heard that quote until two weeks ago. And I've never heard a quote that resonated with me more than that quote. And, and now I just tell myself that quote quite a bit. And that helps me out more than you could possibly imagine. Cause you, you bring logic into it. And when you bring logic into it, everything's a lot easier. Yeah, that is so true. And so I, like, I, I'm asking some of these questions cause I like, I have OCD, so I have uh, some of this, it's not that far off from what you're dealing with with the autistic stuff yeah. like yeah and you it, it's very easy to get like go down a rabbit hole of like negativity oh, yeah. if you're not preparing yourself every day and it took me a while mm-hmm. to fucking realize that that was what i had and what i had to deal with right so like how old were you when you were diagnosed um with adhd i was 16 depression i was uh 21 and anxiety i was 28 and then i just got diagnosed with autism last year Jesus, that's like, um, so do you, do you think that's helpful or that you got diagnosed later or because I mean, you're more prepared to like read up about it and deal with it, I guess. But like, 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, just I'll let you answer. <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry, sorry, I, I just want to make sure to cut you off. No, you know, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, it's for what works with some people might not work with others. For me personally, I after talking to you know the counselors and the people who test me, they're and it's basically tell them what I do with my life and how I'm doing stuff and. They say it was an amazing thing that I got diagnosed later because it uh, allowed me to figure out how to find these tricks mm-hmm. and how to socialize and, and how to socialize normally, you know. And because um, when I was, like I said, when I was in high school, I was high school, middle school, I really struggled. You know, I didn't, I really didn't have much friends. And it really wasn't until I was 18 that I decided I didn't want to be that anymore. And so I read every book on communicating I could possibly find, once again, the obsessiveness. And I essentially taught myself how to socialize like a normal person or normal person, quotation marks, so that mm-hmm. you can see me. And it's it's definitely where I think it was amazing. So I, I learned how to develop that. I went through every aspect of that, finding tricks that normally I wouldn't have found if I was someone that was always on me trying to tell me how to do stuff instead of finding out on my own. And so I got to experience every great pain, every great accomplishment, everything like that with the utmost uncertainty. And it really allowed me to adapt and be the person that I am and feel comfortable with sharing it and being so open about it, but also actually know what the hell I'm talking about with how to actually adapt and do stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also know people that I've, I've talked to friends of mine. I won't name names because I don't have their permission, but they um, were they got diagnosed early and they really, really struggle because they, this is their words, not mine. I, I don't, I don't yeah. it, but they, they felt like they were always, always coddled right. with it. And so they never really got to teach themselves how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Though. But then there are other people that got yeah. diagnosed. Yeah, yeah. But there are people yeah. that got diagnosed early and it was the best thing ever happened to them because they developed all the skills they needed to from mm-hmm. a really amazing support group. Yeah. So it really, it's never really, one There's so many topic. avenues. Yeah. 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 We're going to let you go soon because you've given us a lot of time, but I'm super fascinated by what you've been able to accomplish and like your attitude is amazing. We talked about this earlier about how for some reason our industry attracts people with mental health issues and we'll probably never really know why that is. But what would be your advice to someone who's uh, got mental health issues and is struggling and like, like to, you know, stay on track and keep a positive attitude? Yeah, you know, honestly... Don't be afraid to share. You know, it's that's the biggest thing is we're so taught to keep things to ourselves and and bottle it up. And that's that's never going to be helpful for you. You know, it's be be open to talking to somebody, whether it's secret, you don't ever have to tell anyone you're talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, find that support group, find your parents, your friend, whatever it is. Read articles. I, I'm working on some with Chill magazine. Eventually I'll get to it and have it finished, where I'm literally interviewing people like uh, Nick Hogan from Mover and Shaker and Eric Castro and all these different people, and they're gonna tell how they we're able to handle their, their things they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And you never even have to admit that you read it. Just use right. those the sources and do stuff, but educate yourself, learn about it, be open, be humble, and, and know that there are a lot of people in this industry that are going through similar things. And there are a lot of people in this industry that are very, very good people that want to help you. Well, I just say like, yeah, I would agree because give people the opportunity to be as accommodating as people actually tend to be. And specifically in our industry, like you'll be surprised how many people are going through the same shit or similar shit and are more than happy to accommodate your shit. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a trade off. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right, Jacob, that was super fascinating conversation, man. You're a cool guy. Uh, and you're obviously doing great things. Good luck at world class. Thanks so much for being so open and honest in this conversation. Uh, it was super fascinating. I think it, uh, people are going to love to hear it, especially people in our industry. So thank you so much for doing this. No, seriously. I really, really appreciate y'all taking me on. Like I said, it's, it's been a real privilege and you guys are doing really, really great things for this industry. So thank you. Oh, thank yeah, you. Thanks pretty much. And yeah. before you go, uh, is oh, yeah. there's anything you want to promote online? Uh, where can someone find you, like on Instagram or any other social media? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so the biggest way to, that you can support me is definitely just uh, you know follow me on uh, the Cocktail Retriever on my Instagram, where I do post a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about, as well as just figuring out anything that I'm doing in the future. There'll be a couple announcements in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there'll be really big ones. So yeah, feel free to follow me and see just kind of what's up. And nah, that'd be, it'd be great, but you don't have to also. <laughs> yeah. uh, perfect. Thanks, uh, man. I'll put that in the show notes so everyone can find that. So. Best of luck, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great talking to you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, man. That was terrific. Yeah. No, no I really appreciate it, guys. It was awesome. Yeah. 